Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria. So glad that you're back with me this week. You're not going to be disappointed at all because my good friend Michelle Van Loon is joining us. Uh, she is, oh, how do I describe Michelle? Michelle, first of all, let me say welcome to Faith. Welcome back to Faith Conversations. Yeah, it's so good okay. to be back. Great to have you back. And uh, and maybe before we get into your bio, I want to tell folks what we're going to be talking about. You have a brand new book out that I think is fascinating that I think everyone needs to grab a copy of. Yes. Even you folks listening that say, no, no, I, I buying too many books that you recommend. Well, here's one you got to do. Uh, it's called translating your past, finding meaning in family ancestry, genetic clues and generational trauma. That's a mouthful. And there's a lot in this book, translating your past. Uh, but if, if you're new to the podcast and you've not heard Michelle on with me before, um, she is uh, an incredibly gifted woman. She is a writer, has written a number of books that I've spoken with her on this program before, but she's written in publications, uh, many of which I'm sure you have read. She's co-founder of the Perennial Gen Um blog as well. Um, but I love Michelle, how the bio is in this book. Um, mm. because it's, I think it's really important. And I, so I thought I would just read a few couple of sentences, which reads this way, since she, Michelle came to faith in Christ at the tail end of the Jesus movement, um, Michelle Van Loon's Jewish heritage, spiritual hunger, and storytellers' sensibilities have shaped her faith journey and informed her writing. And that is indeed true, but there's always a story about an author's current book. I have a feeling this one's been rolling around in your mind or this topic uh, for a long time, but I want to hear your story. Why translating your past? Well, there's kind of two answers to that question, because honestly, when I die, they should inscribe on my headstone, there is always more to say. I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like, oh, I've written these books and these other things, and I do some teaching and speaking, and always I'm like, but yet there's still more words that I can say. So as long as God gives me breath. Um, the the shorter answer is the second part of what I would say, which is I raised my kids in the 80s and 90s in the era of all kinds of parenting um, kind of formulas and techniques that I learned at church. And then we and thank you, James Dobson, that you learned yes. on the radio, too. 
exactly and from radio i especially from from radio but then we homeschooled and went to homeschool conventions that were often full of people telling us if we just do these things we can input this formula with this scripture and expect a certain outcome from our efforts i and, thought that was true in the raising well, of kids <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Just call me Queen Buzzkill. Uh, people everywhere are turning off this podcast right now, Michelle. That's it. They're done. You have ruined our lives. Well, I the, the truth is principles and formulas, they are super helpful bits of structure to kind of shape our experience and help us help us understand some things but they do not take into account what we bring into the marriage into our parenting into any space that we are and i think in the church we have not always been so great at talking about our family of origin unless we're in an addiction recovery group or we're in counseling but that language and all of the various streams and tributaries that kind of go into making us who we are, um, I think a lot of times, at least for me, I kind of assumed that the formulas would overwrite hmm. any of that other earlier programming. So that's one reason, because guess what? They don't. And um, we need to be in conversation with our unique story as well as those formulas that's all that all goes into what makes a life and what builds a family the second one is goes back much further um, to when i was in high school and the show roots was airing for the first time sure. in the 70s um, if you are a viewer of a certain age that kind of took over the airwaves for a while it's it was the story um of alex haley's kind of search for his family story he's a black author he traced his family story back to africa and did a great service to america in illustrating the slave journey and the process and what happens and how traumatic it is. Um, dramatic some, or traumatic? Or traumatic. Both. And yeah. we can throw in dramatic okay. as well. I just um, wanted to make sure I wanted to emphasize. Okay. Trauma is often dramatic, but um, though some of his research has been called into question in more recent years, what he did and the, the resonance of his story, his search for his roots got me asking questions. It emboldened me to ask questions that I knew I wasn't supposed to ask in my own family of origin. Um, I had learned early on that silence was the best way to approach some of these painful chapters, particularly in my mom's past, not so much my dad's. And um, seeing Alex on TV in his story gave me the courage to start asking those questions. And it went about as badly as 
(laughs) I kind of imagined it would. Hmm. So, wow. So you did start asking, but you Mm -hmm. got shut down. Because there's always more to say. And part of that saying is there's always more to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, That's That's my mom had been adopted shortly after she was born by some distant relatives and kind of out of the time that they lived in conventional wisdom was everyone should just keep it a huge secret. And, um, but (laughs) the secret came out shortly before she got married and her, her birth father, who was still alive at the time, called her to ask if he could come to the wedding. Wow. And um, it was as traumatic as you can imagine. Though my mom, who was a very tall woman, she was about five nine. And her parents, the parents I always knew as my grandparents, her adopted parents, were very short people. Like she just towered over everybody. And, but, you know, until that moment, no one challenged that. No one asked questions. Everyone just kept their mouths shut and played along. Um, That was as dramatic and traumatic as you can imagine. I've always said it's kind of like a lifetime movie of the week plot except it was my it was my your family life. story <laughs> yes uh, so you had an interest whether you got answers or not mm-hmm. you started getting answers with that mm-hmm. uh, moment in time of course you weren't around yet this is pre you know marriage of your your mom and dad right. but this story i'm guessing started to unfold a little bit more once your mom knew knew um the secret yeah well and she knew the family because they would all, it's, it must've been so weird. That was the thing that I, I never really got an answer be- from her before she died, but they would go visit mm. all the New York relatives. Um, she was brought up in Chicago. They would go every summer mm. and hang out. And everybody must have been very interested in what little Gail was doing and how she was growing and who she looked like and all of those things. But yet they all kept the secret until her dad couldn't take it anymore. Wow. Of course, I want to know how she responded and all that, but we have some other fish to fry here in this book. Yes, let's (laughs) fry them all. (laughs) But that, that, you know, you had questions, you were curious about your own upbringing and about, and, and because of that secrecy surrounding your, your mother's birth parents, um, it just, don't you think one secret, um, just begets more and more secrets in families. More secrets beget more secrets Mm -hmm. because everyone has to remember what not to say. That's a good point. (laughs) You're right. Right. It takes a lot of energy to keep a secret. And um, just like it takes a lot of energy to tell a lie, you have to always keep reminding yourself what the story is. You don't have to think much if you're just telling the truth. Wow. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think a big question, um, and, and in fact, some people listening might be asking this because certainly in recent years, there's 
been a plethora of uh, the companies that have come online, like Twenty Three and Me, Ancestry DNA. I, you know, I don't know them all. I'm sure you know a lot more because of working on this book. But people's interest in their background has come more to light. But I still think there are a lot of people that are wondering why it's important. Is it important to pay mm-hmm. attention to our past? But you, you go further though. You talk about the fact that there's a story that our past is telling us. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece of why we need to know it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people there, there's the genealogy people, the people that love doing historical research and digging around in ship manifest records from the turn of the last century and kind of tracing those stories. Um, my late father-in-law was one of those guys that jumped on the genealogy train decades ago and had built a whole stack of information tracing the Van Loon name way, way back in time, you know, just all through paper research um, and then eventually internet research. But um, there's those people, there's the people that are taking consumer DNA tests sometimes having some interesting surprises like discovering maybe there's a sibling they didn't know about or I mean <laughs> I've talked to a whole bunch of people or but, or as we know in recent years there have been some murders that have been solved and murders that have been solved <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of controversy about how to use those consumer tests and um, police access and privacy that's a whole other topic but the the shorter version is that most of us are curious you know adoptees there are some i've met who don't want to know who aren't curious for all kinds of great reasons and there are many that are or that maybe feel free to undertake a search for a birth family after the adoptive parents have passed So there's all of these things that poke on us. Um, It might be a medical diagnosis, you know, or something hereditary. We're asked every time we go to a doctor's office to get presented. Family history, right? Well, medical medical history. Yeah. You know, and so that might be a, a presenting pressure point or question point that makes us think even if we've got a fabulous life and and um the cleavers raised us or the brady bunch (laughs) parents raised us um i don't really know anybody who's actually had that experience but in case it was you there's always something how did we get to this point how where did i come from um why do i think and do the things I do what are my where do some of these attitudes come from Um, these fears come from all of those things are not self-contained just in this generation in our lives no and I think one of the things that I appreciate about your book too is you talk about the fact that we might delve into our own family story slash family history but you talk about also the importance of anchoring ourselves in a larger story. And I don't think we tend to think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, say, say a couple of things about that, because I think that's also an important piece of what you talk about. Well, 
for me, in order to orient myself to all the other things that I explored in this book, and I explored them as a very interested layperson. I am not a scientist. I am not a counselor or, or a genealogist. I am not a professional anything, but I'm super curious. And so for me being able to orient myself in the story of scripture, um, because scripture has a lot to say from the very beginning about our, our histories and repeating and recording those histories, remembering those histories. There are nine genealogies in the book of Genesis alone. I, so I remember when you were writing this book and you said yes. that <laughs> in my hearing, and I, and I thought you were about to say there are nine genealogies in scripture. And I'm like, no. you know, I mean, of course I know, uh, in the gospels and, but I, <laughs> when you said in Genesis alone, I, my eyes kind of bugged out, uh, you know, and I'm a student of the Bible, but wow, I did not. I certainly thought there were more than nine in scripture, but I did not think you're going to say in one book of the Bible alone. There it's all the way through. And most of us, at least most of us in the West who tend to see ourselves primarily as individuals, not as um, members of a larger community, kind of we lead with our individualism. Let's be honest. Most of us, when we come to, lists of names in the bible we go a blah 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 yes. and then we pick next. back up the narrative <laughs> next right. you know or i have a friend who says and i look there for pet names oh. you know <laughs> because there's some i hope really that, good I, pet I, name. i'm really glad but, that she didn't say baby names yeah <laughs> pet names well there there are some baby names yeah. depending on few, how depending. adventurous you want to be with your child's <laughs> life but um, the, the language of kind of recounting and remembering those family stories. And, um, as I went through and traced the theme of genealogy through scripture, I was again, struck by the incredible honesty hmm. that, um, these stories carry, that these lists carry, that some of the detail that gets broken up at different points carries. Uh, David and Absalom's story, for example, which I touched on a little later in the book in more detail. You know, if God was running a PR agency, he would, <laughs> <laughs> none of that stuff would be in our Bible. But those stories are there for us to be able to recognize that we're a part of that bigger human story and that there is um, redemption and wisdom, all of those things in, in even the most horrible parts of our family stories. So, so say something to um, someone like me who thinks that there's probably not a whole lot in my, I, I, I look at it like, oh, it's kind of bland. Uh, ancestry DNA, 98% sc 
Scotland, England, Ireland, you know, I've got the two, whatever it is, 1% Norwegian and a percent German, something like that. Right. And though my favorite tea that I drink daily is Scottish breakfast tea, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, don't you, I think, and, and I'd like you to maybe confirm or, or refute this. I think there are many people that think, oh, my family history is kind of boring. I'll just read about other people who sounds really interesting and wow, look uh-huh. at the things they found or yeah, mine's pretty, yeah, nothing. Do you really want to discover that you have a bunch of siblings that were sold? Like uh, there was a Washington Post story last week of a uh, a woman who had some serious mental illness issues, but was also a very fertile character. And so she gave birth to children year after year and sold them. And this was, this was like these genealogy stories, if they make the news and they do often, whether you're a true crime show fan or whether you're reading the news or visiting a bookstore and seeing a memoir, this memoir and that memoir about family secrets. Um, First of all, I say, you should thank God that you don't have that. If you look at my DNA map, it's 100% Ashkenazi Jew. Um, So it's not like we had Romeo and Juliet getting married or any of that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yes, but there's a lot of other factors besides just our DNA or a nice tidy family tree. And honestly, a lot of people can't even use a tree to draw their family story. I can't, Mm -hmm. um, not, not the same way that somebody with a little bit neater bit of family story, because I've, we've got adoptions, we've got estrangements, we've got a lots of mixing and matching that um there there's other models to use and i'm grateful for that but um if it, even if your family story is neat and tidy i tell p- people you know it, some of it is the way that we reframe or understand mm. events like if you had a forebear who came to America and was a homesteader and, you know, built a new life in America. That all, that's a very wonderful hero narrative. But if you just look a little deeper, there's, there was probably economic trauma or loss, disease that drove that forebear to jump onto a boat and come risk everything to come to America and not be welcomed, not be understood, maybe not speak the language. So suddenly you're piling up trauma. Maybe there weren't good coping mechanisms. Certainly there wasn't a bunch of counselors sitting around waiting to welcome <laughs> right, you know, grandpa to Nebraska. But well, and you're, so you're raising this trauma piece. So, you know, the, the DNA piece is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, but, um, the trauma piece is another one. And I will confess that there's one side of my family. So maybe it's not so un, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Uninteresting. Um, but 
but traumatic. Um, there, there was a death as would happen in generations past, right? Maybe a childbirth death, that kind of thing. A woman in childbirth, a remarriage, uh, because there are already so many kids that the dad needed help raising the kids. So a quick remarriage to a woman who, oh, interesting. I start learning that this woman sexually abused all of these little kids. And, mm. and I, I remember I just put my hand up like stiff armed to my mom. I do not want to hear another thing. I can't hear this, but this is trauma from the past, but I don't really know. You start talking about what that means for the present. And I think that, I think people maybe listening are even wondering, really? Mm -hmm. Some people may think this is where our individualistic kind of present tense way of living Mm -hmm. can disconnect us from the fact mm -hmm. that bad things maybe happened um, generations before. And sometimes it's the emotional or spiritual tasks that were left undone or done badly that kind of get carried forward the same way that secrets do um, or vows or promises. And in other in other cases, it's external. Um, anybody right now, 1% of the world's population is um, exiles, migrants forced from their homes. Mm. Wow. And um, more so now than at any time in history, when you're forced to flee a home, that's you know, you're losing your community, you're losing your extended family, maybe you're even losing some of your immediate family in the process. Um, I what, is what, what's uh, the poem, you don't flee your homeland unless you're staring down it, into the, the mouth, mouth of, of a shark, shark right? Right. Yeah. What, like, it's one of the most brilliant lines yes. that says everything. And um, the now I'm like, oh, what's that poet's name? I just quoted that a few days <laughs> ago right. to someone People else. People know Bye. and they can focus, Google it. <laughs> focus, focus. I can also anyway, post mouth, it in the show notes. Yeah, Google mouth of a shark <laughs> yeah. poem mm -hmm. and you'll find the whole the whole poem is worth your time. Yeah. Um, anyway, like for for me as a Jewish person, trauma is kind of my middle name. Middle name. Totally. You know? Yes. <gasps> Three of my four grandparents came here because they were forced out of their homes at the turn of the last century. Um, and, you know, that wasn't um, the first time that that had happened. Wow. Yeah. Economic persecution, um, you know, just all of that. The, the history of the Jewish people is nothing but trauma. So trauma researchers who look at the effect of trauma on generation after generation. Um, the, the field of that study is called epigenetics, EPI genetics. Um, and they will look at the effect of ongoing systemic trauma on groups, indigenous Americans, um, black Americans who have had trauma for generations there's physical effects of that trauma 
there's emotional effects of that trauma. Not that we're victims, not that we're trapped, not that the script can't be changed. That's the hopeful thing about faith and support, community, counseling. All of those things can change the script in the same way that somebody who might have had a melanoma diagnosis you know, a hundred years ago, that would have been the end. Well, now there's treatments and we're in a very different kind of time. It's the same thing. Intervention can change the script. Hmm. And that's part of the purpose for this book. Okay. So part of the purpose. Um, I love that. Uh, I, I, yeah, it, well, I think one of the things that I appreciate that you do is you, you kind of, um, what is it? You pull back the curtain on the great mm-hmm. wizard, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, you get us asking and looking into some areas mm-hmm. within this general story of translating your past and actually tell us why it's important that we do some translation mm-hmm. of our past. Um, but one of the other things that you have done that I think is a great service is you have given us a couple of really good appendix in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure that we mention this and I'm going to mention appendix B first. You have this large section of additional resources that I really appreciate and like. Um, I think your book translating your past is a great first step for someone. Mm-hmm. And then you give all kinds of um, additional helps if someone decides that they want to uh, just move on and and dive a little bit deeper and ask a few more questions, et cetera. Um, And I'm guessing that's probably the point of why you have this appendix, right? Well, the more that I read, it's kind of like when we get to a certain age and we realize how much we don't know the... Even though this has been a topic that I've been mucking around in on a personal level for many years, um, I'm more of a generalist in some ways, but I wanted to be able to give people who found themselves with questions surfacing a way to take additional steps. But as, as much as this book functions as an overview it's also very specific and concrete um, in that I have discussion questions at the end of every chapter that a group could use I have personal um, in the first appendix yeah I wanted to talk about that appendix yeah well questions that can help people begin to recognize themes and trends and kind of their their own family story and be able to dignify it and um, honor it and honor what God has done and grieve the painful things, name the painful things as well. Um, it's There's a lot of hope in this, but the hope comes out of honesty and not um, kind of a heroic false narrative that isn't the whole 
truth. So, so I just want to say that that this Appendix A are all of those questions put together in kind of a a reader's guide. And like you suggested and said, I think it would be really interesting to go through this in a group setting. Mm -hmm. um, I wondered, Michelle, this kind of led me to my next question, um, how much you talked to your family, both, you know, your, your husband, kids, et cetera, mm -hmm. as you were learning things and in this search mm -hmm. and also writing and any extent sibling, any extended family, you know, I didn't know how broad you went just in the conversations of what you were mm -hmm. learning, or if you just had head down and you're writing this and eh, they'll have to read it. Well, when it comes to writing, it's head down. Yeah. But along the way, um, one vow that I made, one promise that I made to myself is I raised my kids, my husband and I raised our kids, was to make sure and tell them as much as I could, as honestly and age appropriately as I could um, about what I knew of my family story. Okay. Like that's, that was always ongoing. And even so, um, but, but be, it's a because conversation that it yeah. doesn't ever end. There's yes, always there things that come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And um, the same thing, I'm a grandmother. And um, even though grandchildren aren't necessarily sitting weirdly, like at your feet waiting to hear stories <laughs> from the right. past, yes. when there's video games to be played, for yes. example, um, any place that I could shove a little nugget of the past, it felt like it was as important in some ways as giving them information about God's story and his love for them. The two didn't feel like they were two different um, kinds of things. It was all part of what I want them to know about how to be in this world. Mm -hmm. uh one of the chapters that I really wanted to ask you about was chapter is chapter five, um, where you talk about patterns and promises. And what made me think of this was in your last response, you used the word vow. You, oh, yeah. I don't know if you even noticed that, but, um, you know, identifying the consequences of our forebears decisions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. say a little bit about that. And I, I mean, scripture talks about vows and I, I get confused confused about this sometimes. And I, I appreciated that you wrote about this. Mm -hmm. what, what's important for us to know about patterns and promises and taking a look at, you know, what we're living today, maybe because of decisions mm -hmm. made by previous generations? Mm -hmm. Well, even the, the story of my own childhood with, we will never tell baby Gail, my mother, that she was adopted hmm. and that were, you know, and they all swore each other to a form of secrecy, that big never this word. weird right. game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I spent many years worshiping in charismatic churches. So I heard a lot about generational curses and vows. Um, and this, 
some of the teaching was helpful in in orienting me to recognize that I wasn't just this individual that dropped from a stork into the world. <laughs> yes. You know, that I was, I'm connected to what's come before. Some of it was very not helpful teaching. And so being able to recognize there are consequences. God speaks about consequences. The language of consequences is even there in the Ten Commandments, you know, but like the to the third and fourth generation. That language is is there. But um, instead of that we're just doomed to a script that can't be changed, the reality is that this is all this is descriptive in very powerful ways that if we aren't willing to learn and interrogate the choices of the past, we, those consequences will play out in our own lives. Um, and so there's an invitation there to, um, to recognize that. And there's an invitation in our own lives to recognize, um, I will never, I will always, you know, that those kinds of things um, guide our, our present experience in very powerful ways. I will never trust anyone again. I was, I was just thinking For, of some of those never uh, kind of mm -hmm. phrases and thoughts and how difficult and destructive they can be. Well, the movie, uh, you know, it, the movie is problematic, but for many of us who watched Gone with the Wind, mm. there is a very famous scene of the very um, willful and spoiled Scarlett O'Hara, the protagonist, in the, at the height of the Civil War as chaos was happening all around her and she was hungry and she was pulling up potatoes with her precious bare hands and she held you know her fist to the sky and yelled as god is my witness i'll never go hungry again she made a very powerful vow i i recognize it's a work of fiction but that vow shaped the way that she functioned in the world after that yeah i always wish she'd say, said as god is my witness no one that I come in contact with that I know that I have have can help will ever go hungry again. <laughs> well, uh, that would be a much shorter movie, wouldn't yes, it? Yes, it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that's fascinating. The things that we can um, say and that have a ripple down trickle down effects on generations to come because we use that never or always kind of language whatever right mm -hmm. that's fascinating you know as you were putting as you were writing this and and because i know you've been really thinking about this topic for a long time and just waiting for the right time to start writing on on this when you were writing translating your past um and, and even beyond just writing, translating your past, but as you 
came to this point where you knew, Hey, this is going to be out there for people to read. I mean, what is your hope? I, I really do. I want to read it again, but the, the subtitle, you know, you, the title translating your past subtitle, finding meaning in family ancestry, genetic clues and generational trauma. That's a mouthful right there. I mean, <laughs> what, <laughs> what were slash are you hoping um, for people who decide to to read this and think about and move into translating their own past? Well, the that subtitle took me several months to kind of learn. The mm -hmm. publisher actually presented it to me, and I'm like, oh, that is really a long title. <laughs> and the, or subtitle translating your past. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. And I'm, I'm very grateful. My agent actually um, worked with me to come up with that. And nice. I'm happy that it's stuck. The, the hook that tends to get people's attention in that long, long title uh -huh. is the generational trauma. Totally piece. what hooked me in. <laughs> Yes. Like the rest of it. Oh, ancestry. Oh, this is a book about DNA. No. But my goal was to recognize that we're the product of lots of things. There is a chapter in here mm -hmm. about the tasks of adoption and how everyone involved in an adoption, for example, has to work through things throughout a lifetime. And in my case, I can say, and the lifetime in the next generation. Um, so that the things that kind of echo from generation to generation are, are very powerful for all of us, whether you know the whole story or you don't. And I have a chapter in here about the blank spaces and questions. There are parts of every story that um, we don't have access to whether it's what the names of our grandparents were or whether it is something that goes back further, you know, like where did this um, genetic propensity for certain kinds of cancers first appear and how did it play out in my family's life? Those kinds of things. Um, but the blank spaces, this is where I'm not necessarily like, the great genealogist, you know, they could speak about that, but those blank spaces are there to highlight what we do know. They are there to highlight who we are and they're there to, to drive us um, to ask more questions. And, you know, every time we make a connection, there's something in our brain and our soul that kind of comes a little more alive and we become a little more whole. So you're saying... Michelle, that those emails I get that I have a new relative that is now on Ancestry, <laughs> I should, I should respond oh. <laughs> instead of delete that. <laughs> oh, I get them too. I've done two different consumer DNA tests, hoping that I would somehow like connect uh, with pieces yeah. of my family because I can't access some of this information. Right. Yeah. Um, and the records for Jewish people, the people who kept really good records mm. for Jewish people were the Nazis, but um, wow. that doesn't say that's not super helpful right. for me. Um, and I do have some distant relatives that ended up in 
in the camps. But when it came to the, my more direct forebears, they got on boats and the, the people in Eastern Europe were like, bye-bye, you know, don't yeah. come back. And wow. so records are a little more challenging, not impossible, but it's definitely more challenging. It isn't necessarily about planning a great big family reunion for all your fifth cousins twice removed. Um, and this book, the, the language of legacy of what it is that we're gonna give to the next generation. Um, if, if you're single, and, or you don't have children, or there's estrangement. This isn't just about creating a family tree where you can fill in the blanks. It's about how you are in the world and what it is of yourself that you are giving to the people around you. And the more whole you are, um, the better quality of what it is that you will pass on to others. I love that. The more whole you are, the better quality of what it is that you're, you'll pass on to mm -hmm. the world and to those uh, in your family specifically mm -hmm. too. I, I just love this. I think this is a, really an important book, Michelle. It's called Translating Your Past, Finding Meaning in Family Ancestry, Genetic Clues, and Generational Trauma. Thank you so much. Just great to talk with you about it. And um, I, yeah, I, I just, I hope a boatload of people go out and get it because I think it's really interesting. <laughs> well, I hope no matter how big the boatload is, I hope that people will read it. And, and I'd love to hear about maybe even family groups or some mm -hmm. church groups mm -hmm. walk, walking through this together, depending on what the dynamics are in your family. There's certainly a lot of good discussion fodder, um, yeah, whether it's sure. informally or more formally. Yeah. And I'll have all of the links um, in the show notes here uh, uh, on um, with the podcast. So just to let you know, if there's something that we talked about that didn't get written down, I'll have all that information there in the show notes and um, how to find Michelle on social media and her website and blog, etc. That'll all be there. So again, Michelle, thanks so much for uh, being up on the podcast today. Appreciate it. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. <laughs> and to everyone else, as always, I say, keep the conversation going.